This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Regular listeners know that I have a soft spot in my heart for our Miss Brooks. I love Eve Arden's ability to toss off lines that, in another actor's mouth, might seem mean-spirited. Now, it's true that the writing of the show had a lot to do with my perception of her abilities, but the fact that she won a radio listener's poll by Radio Mirror magazine as the top-ranking comedian of 1948-49 certainly means something, doesn't it? Our Miss Brooks was a hit on radio from the very outset. Within eight months of its launch as a regular series, the show landed several honors, including four for Eve Arden, who won polls in four individual publications at the time. Actually, Eve Arden had been the third choice to play that title role. Harry Ackerman, at the time CBS's West Coast Director of Programming, wanted Shirley Booth for the part, but... He realized that Booth was too focused on the underpaid downside of public school teaching at the time to have fun with the role. Then Lucille Ball was believed to have been the next choice, but she was already committed to My Favorite Husband and didn't audition. Then CBS chairman Bill Paley, who was friendly with Arden, persuaded her to audition for the part. Well, she agreed to give the newly revamped show a try. The interplay between the cast, blustery Conklin, nebbish Denton, accommodating Harriet, absent-minded Mrs. Davis, clueless Boynton, scheming Miss Emwright, all, all received positive reviews. Jeff Chandler played Boynton and stayed with the show for five years, even after becoming a movie star. He ultimately resigned because it was just too exhausting to juggle a regular radio series with his film commitments. Others in the cast include Anne Whitfield as Conklin's daughter, Harriet. I love her reply when she won her award in 1949. I'm referring here to Eve Arden, of course. She said, I'm certainly going to try in the coming months to merit the honor you've bestowed upon me because I understand if I win this two years in a row, I get to keep Mr. Boynton. So let's see what's up in tonight's episode, The Burglar. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written by Al Lewis. Well, most school teachers are accustomed to early rising. But last Friday morning, Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, was awakened a little too early by her landlady, Mrs. Davis. Honey! Oh, Connie, I've got something to tell you. Are you up? I am now, Mrs. Davis. Is it seven o'clock? No, dear, it's only five o'clock. I hope you didn't wake me up to tell me I've got two more hours to sleep. <laughs> oh, certainly not. I thought I heard a noise in the kitchen. Oh? What sort of a noise? Well, uh, first I heard something that sounded like footsteps in the backyard. 
And then there was the sound of a pane of glass breaking. Then the window slid up. Then there were some more footsteps in the kitchen. And then there was the sound of the refrigerator being opened. Did you go into the kitchen to investigate? No, I figured it was only the cat. <laughs> Minerva? Well, she wouldn't go to the refrigerator. She liked her milk warm. It's probably just your imagination, Mrs. Davis. Now, let's go back to sleep, huh? But, Connie, as I think back, those footsteps were pretty heavy for a cat. Please, Mrs. Davis, if you're trying to frighten me into thinking there's someone in this house, you've succeeded. <laughs> Hand me my robe, please, the one on the chair with the extra heavy tassels on the belt. Oh, here you are, Connie. I'll go put my slippers on and join you in the kitchen. All right. Oh, this hallway is nice and dark. Why do they always have to put the switch on the opposite end from where you are? I just feel my way along the wall and... Oops. Who's that? All right, don't move now. Who are you and what are you doing in this house? I'm looking for my slippers, Connie. <laughs> Maybe they're under my bed. I'll go see. Oh, sorry, Mrs. Davis. I've got my bearings now. Here's the kitchen door. I, I beg your pardon. I didn't mean to startle you with the flashlight. It's just a tool of the trade. <laughs> if you're looking for the gas meter, it's outside. I'm not looking for the gas meter. Anybody else living here besides yourself? My landlady, Mrs. Davis. But this seems like a strange time to be taking the census. I'm not taking the census either, Miss... Uh, 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 Brooks. Connie Brooks. How do you do? My name's Joe Phillips. Oh, happy to shake your flashlight, Mr. Phillips. <laughs> if you're looking for money, I can save us both a lot of time. I'm a school teacher. Oh, no, no. I wasn't looking after money. I just broke in to raid your icebox. Of course, if I'd have known you were a school teacher, I'd have brought you a sandwich. <laughs> but I don't understand. If you're just after food, why didn't you go to a restaurant? I got a dandy answer for that one. They charge. <laughs> You see, I've been out of work for several weeks now, and since I was a kid, I've always been led to believe that starvation is a very unsatisfactory career. But when I'm hungry, I just take a chance and drop into various kitchens. I never heard of such a thing. Sit down at that table for a minute. I've got to hear some more about this. Well, but you caught me red-handed. Aren't you going to call the police? The police? We're lucky if there's enough in that icebox for you and me. <laughs> of course, we just had leftovers for dinner last night, but you're welcome to some leftover leftovers. Well, to tell you the truth, I wasn't thinking about dinner What I had in mind was breakfast Oh, I'm sorry, I lost my head I'll just step out on the back porch and get the milk I brought it in with me <laughs> That was very thoughtful Did you look around, Connie? Is everything all right? So far, so good, Mrs. Davis This is Mr. Phillips, he's a burglar Oh, how do you do, Mr. Phillips? Have you been here long? Not very, Mrs. Davis. Why? Because I thought I heard some moving around in here before. Did you notice anybody? Just a little cat out on the back porch. Oh, that's Minerva, but it couldn't have been Minerva because he's a burglar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he claims he's just after our vitamins, Mrs. Davis. He doesn't seem very violent, so I thought I'd give him a bite to eat and get the rest of his story. Well, for heaven's sake, I'll put on some coffee. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Uh, uh, could I trouble you for the address here, please? The address? Why do you want that? Yeah, seems to me you found the place all right without the address. <laughs> well, uh, I like to jot it down on my little black book. You see, I keep a record of every kitchen I've visited. 
And as soon as I can afford it, I'm going to pay back everyone who's contributed to my nourishment. Yes, ma'am, I'm going to throw the biggest party you ever saw. Dinner party, huh? How many on your guest list so far? About 150 couples. <laughs> With all those people, you'll have to break into a pretty big restaurant. Oh, that's one shindig I'm going to pay for. I realize I'll, I'll have to find a pretty good job before I can do that, but I really intend to make the effort. Well, good for you, Joe. I, I must admit that in the past, steady work has always seemed quite repellent to me, but, well, it's the only way to get even, I guess. Here's some cereal, Mr. Phillips. The coffee will be ready in a minute. Well, thank you. Tell me, Mr. Phillips, in your little food raiding expedition, have you ever been caught before tonight? Uh, no, ma'am, uh, but I was almost caught last night. And the setup looked so lovely. It was about 7.30 in the evening. Here was this man fast asleep on a couch. Here was this big bowl of fried chicken on a table behind him. And here was this open window right near it. But just as I reached in to grab it, he woke up. You never heard such a bellowing in your life. Chased me 15 blocks before I finally shook him. Well, that's one way to work up an appetite. <laughs> chicken wasn't worth it. Things fried in deep fat murder me. <laughs> Well, look, Mr. Phillips, if you're serious about wanting to pay back your food debt, I may be able to help you. Our school custodian has been sick for a few days, and I might be able to get you a job filling in for him. Please, not while I'm eating. <laughs> Here's your coffee, folks. Oh, oh, while we're on the subject of eating, Connie, I've been invited over to my sister Angela's for dinner. I'd like to ask you along, but Angela hasn't been very well lately, and I... Oh, I wouldn't think of bothering Angela, Mrs. Davis. Don't worry about me. I'll have a nice dinner in the drugstore. Oh, don't do that, Miss Brooks. If you're short of funds, why not have dinner with me? Thanks just the same, Mr. Phillips, but I hate to eat and run. <laughs> breakfast, Mr. Phillips helped with the dishes, those he didn't swallow, and we arrived at school several minutes before my first class. You are now in the hallowed halls of Madison High, Mr. Phillips. On your right is the office of our beloved principal, Osgood Conklin, known to the faculty as the Lion's Den. Good morning, Miss Brooks. And directly in front of you is the Lion's Cub, Harriet. I mean, uh, <laughs> Miss Conklin, meet Mr. Phillips. Uh, hello, Miss Conklin. How do you do, Mr. Phillips? Uh, just call me Joe. All right. Then you just call me Harriet. Okay, Harriet. Now that we're all engaged... <laughs> I'd like to ask you something, Harriet. Has the custodian returned to work yet? No, Miss Brooks, he hasn't. As a matter of fact, Daddy has asked me to see that the things that need fixing around here get fixed. At least until he can get somebody to take Mr. Jensen's place. Oh, then we're just in time. You wait right here, Mr. Phillips. I'll arrange an interview with Mr. Conklin. Oh, okay, Miss Brooks. Come in. It's me, Mr. Conklin. There's something I'd like to talk to you about. Very well, Miss Brooks, but first there's something I'd like to discuss with you. It seems the salary checks have been held up this month, and, well, this is a very embarrassing statement for me to make, but I'm short of funds. If you think that's an embarrassing statement, wait till you put your next question. I'm flat broke myself. <laughs> oh, I wasn't thinking in terms of borrowing money, Miss Brooks. Oh. But as I recall, my daughter Harriet brought you home to dinner one night last week. Now, my wife left town yesterday to visit her mother. And while I don't feel that you owe me a dinner, well, I am one up on you. <laughs> 
And after tonight, you'll still be one up on me. <laughs> you see, Mr. Conklin, Mrs. Davis is visiting her sister tonight, and I'm going to eat in the drugstore. But about this matter of a new custodian, Mr. Conklin, I'd like to Maybe tell you about... Maybe the grocer would extend my credit and... Please, sir, I didn't finish talking. What? Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. You have to forgive my preoccupation with the inner man, but I haven't had a square meal in two days. Last night, Martha left some delicious fried chicken for me on a table, and somebody made off with it. <laughs> well, that's too bad, sir, but... Oh, no. <laughs> did you get a good look at the man? Well, it was pretty dark, and I... How did you know it was a man? Well, if he was reaching through the window, I had must How did you know <laughs> he reached through the window? Well, it's only natural. If you were napping on the couch, there was no uh, other... <laughs> How did you know I was napping? I didn't. Uh, don't you always take a nap before your evening meal? Miss Brooks, did you steal my dinner? <laughs> can you say such a thing? Oh, well, I, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. I, I was quite upset by the incident. I'm almost certain it was a man. I chased that thief for blocks. Well, that's one thing about the man I'd like to recommend for the custodian's job, Mr. Conklin. He's as honest as the day is long. What? You have someone to replace Mr. Jensen? Yes. Well, why didn't you say so? Well, don't stand there. Where is he? He's right outside. I'll call him. Come on in, Mr. Phillips. Mr. Conklin will see you now. Oh, thanks. Uh, this is Joe Phillips, Mr. Conklin. How do you do? Say, haven't I seen you someplace before? <laughs> I was about to mention that same thing. Oh, no, I'm sure you two haven't met. Although Mr. Phillips does get around to some of our better homes. Oh. <laughs> well, probably just a coincidence. Now then, Phillips, I understand you'd like to fill in here as our temporary custodian. Yes, sir. Are you a handyman with tools? You ought to see him with a knife and fork. <laughs> I'm very handy, Mr. Conklin, and hours don't mean anything to me either. You said it. If I can if I can just take a crack at this job, I know you'll be pleased. Very well. Here are the keys to the custodian's office. Now help yourself to a pair of overalls and report back to me. You've got yourself a job. But, Mr. Conklin, uh, don't you want to ask me any questions about my background or anything? If there's one thing I have, it's an ability to judge character. <laughs> now go, my boy, and good luck to you Thank you, Mr. Conklin And you too, Miss Brooks uh, You won't be sorry oh, I'm sure I won't be sorry I can tell by looking at that fellow That he's not only competent, but honest and loyal Now reach over to my desk and hand me the pen on it I've got to send a memo to the board about our new custodian Yes, sir Oh, there's no pen on the desk, Mr. Conklin Oh, there must be. I put it there myself, alongside of my watch. Watch? Now, don't tell me that's gone, too. Are you sure you put your watch on the desk, Mr. Conklin? Positive. When I came in this morning, I took it out of the little pocket in my trousers. Trousers? Yes, <laughs> Trousers? Stop turning your face away. It's common courtesy to look at the person you're addressing. Frankly, Mr. Conklin, I'm afraid to look. <laughs> In spite of the circumstances under which we had met, I was determined to give Joe Phillips a chance. By lunch period, I felt confident that he was taking advantage of his chance, because four desks, 
two sewing machines and a typewriter were reported missing. (laughs) I didn't completely lose faith in his honesty, but it was ebbing pretty rapidly. However, when I dropped into the biology laboratory to meet Mr. Boynton for lunch, I temporarily shelved our temporary custodian. Hi, Mr. Boynton. Ready to go to lunch? Oh, I'm not going to the cafeteria today, Miss Brooks. I brought a box lunch with me. Since our salary checks were delayed this week, I'm a little short. I've attained full midgethood myself. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. I have enough money for a light lunch if you don't weigh it. Look, Miss Brooks, we've been friends a long time. I brought a very large lunchbox down today. I insist you share it with me. All right, you get in first. (laughs) I mean, you're very kind, Mr. Boynton. Oh, it's nothing at all. You're the one who's kind. Kind, considerate, and the fairest-minded person he's ever met. That's what Mr. Phillips said about you this morning. Mr. Phillips? Our new custodian. He was in here after first period. Offered to help me clean out the lab. That's Mr. Phillips, all right. <laughs> but couldn't we talk about him later? I'm kind of hungry, Mr. Boynton. Of course. I'll get my lunchbox out of the desk and... That's funny. It, it's gone. Your lunchbox? My desk. <laughs> well, come on, Mr. Boynton. We'll go halvies on a glass of milk in the cafeteria. But but where in the world... I can't discuss it in detail just yet, Mr. Boynton, but I'm worried. I need your advice. Oh? Tell me, what should a person do if this person befriended another person, only to find out that that person may not have been worthy of the first person's fate, in view of certain occurrences which, although the second person couldn't definitely be accused of them, circumstances seem to point the finger of suspicion at and... Well, just tell me this, Mr. Boynton. Uh, What, Miss Brooks? How did I ever get to be an English teacher? Miss Brooks? Come on over here, Miss Brooks. I got an empty cable. Oh, thanks, Walter. The cafeteria's pretty crowded today. Mr. Boynton's just getting me some milk. This chicken a la king is swell today. You ought to try it. It does look good. But, Walter, I'm surprised at your table manners. You're eating with your fingers. Everybody's eating with their fingers today. The silverware's all gone. (laughs) Yeah, including a fine set of Easterling knives and forks donated by the wife of Madison High School's founder, Mrs. Yodar Critch. (laughs) Well... She'll never miss them. She's been dead ten years. But this is awful, Walter. I can't help feeling it's my fault. Your fault? What did you have to do with it? I've got to tell somebody, and it might as well be you. Have you noticed the new custodian bustling around school today? Yeah, come to think of it, I have. It seems like a very industrious chap. He's industrious, all right. That's why I feel so responsible. You know where I met this gentleman? Where? In my kitchen icebox at five o'clock in the morning... Wasn't it awfully chilly? (laughs) This is no kidding matter, Walter. This Joe Phillips broke into our place this morning, and when Mrs. Davis and I caught him, he said he just wanted a meal. He seemed so sincere, I brought him down to school and got him a job. Gosh, Miss Brooks, you mean you talked Mr. Conklin into hiring a crook? At the time, I was convinced he wasn't a crook. But in view of the day's events so far, I am now convinced that in spite of his very convincing approach, I was prematurely convinced. This isn't one of my better days. Gosh, Miss Brooks, there's no reason for you to be so upset about it. Why don't we just call a cop and have him tossed into the pokey? Because we haven't any evidence, Walter. Besides, I'd like to get him out of here without Mr. Conklin's knowledge. 
I'll never hear the end of it if he discovers I've recommended a criminal. Well, there must be something we can do. Oh, you should have called the police last night when you had him dead to rights. Hey, wait a minute. I've got an idea. You've got to get him back to your house again tonight. It, have you got something you could lure him with? I like to think I have. <laughs> oh, but uh, his most vulnerable spot is his appetite. He'll eat anything, as long as it isn't fried in deep fat. That murders him. <laughs> then all we have to do is drop a casual remark that you're having a big turkey dinner at your place tonight and that you're leaving the house right afterwards. Where am I going? To the show. The Baron of Arizona just came to town. Is he taking me? No, that's the name of the movie. Oh. Now, you tell Mr. Boynton about our plan and have him at your house tonight at 7.30 or so. A quiet Walter Phillips is coming over here. Now, remember, you know nothing. Right. Uh, well, good afternoon, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Phillips. This is Walter Denton, one of my students. I'm glad to know you, son. Enjoying your food? Oh, he's enjoyed every handful. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, won't you? Thanks. I'm kind of tired. I've had a very busy morning. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, I'm not too familiar with the job as yet. Don't worry about it. I'm sure you'll pick things up as you go along. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Conklin's expecting big things from me, I guess And I'm going to do my best not to let him down But after all, I only have two hands If you had more, there'd be no school by now <laughs> Oh, uh, Miss Brooks, uh, didn't you have to see one of the other teachers about something? What? Oh, yes, yeah. yes, of course Please excuse me, Mr. Phillips I've got to see one of the other teachers about something See you later, Walter Bye Now then, Mr. Phillips You look to me like a man who likes to eat I do my share of it. Yeah, me too. And if there's one thing I love, it's roast turkey. Say, now you're talking. There doesn't seem to be any room at the other table, so I'll have to join you, Denton. <laughs> oh. Hello there, Philip. Uh, hello, Mr. Conklin. Is that all you're having for lunch, Mr. Conklin? A glass of milk and a donut? It's all I require, Denton. I'm on a diet. Yes, sir. Harriet told me about your salary check being held up, but if you're that class... Oh, quiet! <laughs> Say, uh, that must be why Miss Brooks didn't have anything in front of her just now. She can't afford to eat. Don't be silly! She's purposely not having any lunch because her landlady, Mrs. Davis, is roasting them a big turkey for tonight. A big turkey? <laughs> a big turkey? A big turkey. Well, it's almost eight o'clock If he's coming at all, he should be here any minute Are all the lights out in the house, Miss Brooks? I just sent Walter to put them out in the kitchen and dining room I also told him to leave the back door unlatched I'm running out of windows Miss Brooks, come here a minute what is it, Walter? Look, on this kitchen table here, in this roasting pan. It's a cooked turkey. A beautiful cooked turkey. Oh, now, isn't that sweet? Mrs. Davis must have left it for me when she went to her sister's. Put the lid back on, Walter. Oh, this is great. Now we've got some real bait. Now, remember the plan. When we hear him come in, we wait till he's in the middle of the kitchen. Then Mr. Boynton jumps on him, I throw my belt around him, and you put the lights on, Miss Brooks. Right. Now turn them off, Walter. There. Gosh, it's sure dark in here. Well, the darker the better. If we can get him by surprise... Shh. Quiet. 
Jimmy's coming right here. I see a flashlight. I should have told him the door was unlatched. <laughs> until I finished a drumstick. Well, I, I just wanted to talk to you about something, Miss Brooks. There weren't any lights in front, so I thought I'd try the back way. Through the window? Oh, uh, well, that was an accident. But once I got the window open, I thought I'd come in and leave a note for you. And in what handier place than buried in the stuffing of a turkey? <laughs> Please, Miss Brooks, let's go into the living room and talk this thing over. Well, let's all go into the living room. We still expect company, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't always snag the right weasel the first time. <laughs> now, that's the switch. Somebody's at the front door. Coming. Hi, Miss Brooks, it's me. Mr. Phillips. What do you mean by sneaking in the front way? I'm not sneaking in. I just came over to explain a few things. This I've got to hear. Come in. So there you are. Good evening, Phillips. Oh, oh I'm glad you're here tonight, Mr. Conklin. Uh, I missed you at school this afternoon, uh, and I was going to give Miss Brooks a message for you. What kind of a message, Phillips? Well, your daughter Harriet was very helpful today, sir. But when I told her to bring the silverware to the shop to be polished, she had it picked up a little too early, before lunch. Yes, yes, I know. That isn't the only mistake she made. While she was dusting, she put my watch and fountain pen in my desk, and I didn't find them till after school. But what about the desks and sewing machines and the typewriter that were missing? Oh, I just took them down to the cellar to repair them. They sure needed a good varnishing. So does my suspicious mind. <laughs> Mr. Phillips, I owe you an apology. And so do I, Phillips. Me too. Fortunately, we've got something in the kitchen that'll make us all feel a lot better. Suppose we start carving that nice roast turkey. Uh, where do you keep your knives, my dear? <laughs> what was that? It came from the kitchen. Well, come on, let's investigate. Well, I should never have told Walter to unlatch that back door. Why, Miss Brooks, what's happened? Somebody swiped our turkey. And now, once again, here is Eve Arden. The Red Cross provides immediate help for victims of disaster, as well as long-term help. The rebuilding and repair of homes, extended medical care, and where needed, even the training for a new job. During 1949, almost 300,000 persons in over 300 disaster operations received vital Red Cross aid. This cost over $6.5 million. This year, when you contribute to the Red Cross, give generously. Help the Red Cross continue its good work. <laughs>
week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with the music of Wilbur Hatch under the direction of Maurice Carlton. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Bob Sweeney. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Escape next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Escape was radio's leading anthology series of high-adventure radio dramas aired on CBS from July 47 to September of 1954. Since the program didn't have a regular sponsor like Suspense, it was subjected to frequent schedule shifts and lower production budgets. Despite these problems, Escape enthralled many listeners during the seven-year run. Here's the episode first aired in 1947, Confession. You are lost in a London fog, uncertain whether the figures looming around you are real or creatures of your imagination, and somewhere in the wet grayness lurks a murderer from whom you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a fog-shrouded city and the terror of a shell-shocked mind, as Algernon Blackwood describes them in his ghostly story, Confession. There was no doubt about it. The woman was dead. Her cheek was cold to my touch. The head of the long, sharp hat pen protruded from her breast above the heart. She was dead. Murdered. And I stood there by the bed, my brain whirling crazily. I was alone in an empty house with a murdered woman. And then suddenly fear flashed across my brain and cleared it. I heard the door below open and close. Footsteps. Someone was coming across the downstairs hall, onto the stairs, coming up, up here. In a moment, I would be discovered. In a moment, someone would walk into this room and see me standing over the body. In a moment, my escape would be cut off. Quickly, I slipped across the hall and into another of the empty bedrooms. I leaned against the closed door, breathing heavily, listening to those steps come closer. 
Would he look into any of the other bedrooms first? Would I be discovered here? He passed my door and went into the room, straight in, closed the door behind him. Then he knew where to come. I waited a moment, waited for some sound, some gasp of discovery. There was none. Then he knew what to expect. I must escape quickly before he came out of that room. I started down the stairs, carefully, to avoid any sound. And suddenly the door of that room opened. The beam of the flashlight searched down the hall. I took the stairs three at a time, burst open the front door, and fled into the street, fled into the sanctuary of the fog. How long and how far I ran, I do not know. I, I could see nothing, feel nothing but the clammy dampness of the fog. I don't know whether he was still following me or not. I ran out of sheer terror, up one street, down another, with no idea of where I was or where I was going. Perhaps I was running in circles. Perhaps I would run right back to the house. Well, I stopped. I leaned heavily against the wall. My hands were shaking as I raised them to my perspiring face. I held them there to steady them. Ran them through my wet hair. My hat. I didn't have it. I'd left my hat back there in that room. On the bed beside that dead woman. And it had my initials in it. Nearby, a street lamp formed a fuzzy ball of yellow in the enveloping murk. And now a figure loomed suddenly beneath it, just as she had materialized so short a time ago under another streetlight. Or was it the same one? Was it she again? Was it he, the one who was following me? Was it real at all? Perhaps it was only a creature of my madness. My dear sir, you're ill. I... Oh, hero, uh... oh, let me help you. Why, you're almost ready to fall. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, just lean on my arm. Yes. You are real, aren't you? Real? <laughs> I don't understand. I say, you're very near collapse, you know. And I happen to be a doctor. Luckily, too, you're just outside my very house. Come in for a moment, won't you? Why, I... You're very kind. Uh, yes, I will, if it's... Not too much trouble for you? None at all, my dear chap. Please do. Within five minutes, I was seated in a comfortable chair before a toasting fire, sipping a hot cup of tea. I could feel my nerves relaxing, but the traces of my illness must have been clear on my face because my host observed... Your trouble is shell shock, isn't it? Right. Yes, how did you know? I've been in the service, and I'm a doctor. Of course, I, I only meant I'm supposed to be recovered, or almost. But uh, I got lost in the fog, felt ill suddenly. Terrified, you know. I know. You should never have been out on a night like this. If you've got far to go, you better let me put you up. You're very kind, very kind indeed, but I don't want to be in any trouble. No trouble at all. I'd like to be of help. The least we veterans can do for each other. Ah, oh, the blasted war. Thank goodness it's over. Not English, are you? No, Canadian. I haven't been demobilized yet. I'm still in the army hospital at Regent's Park under the care of Dr. Henry. Ah, oh, yes, yes. Very good man. I'd say he's done well by you. Up till tonight, I mean. Yes. 
Of course, we had no idea there would be a fog. I still get in a panic when I feel all alone. Well, that's usual, but then there was something more than that tonight, wasn't there? What do you mean? Simply that you've had rather a severe shock quite recently, haven't you? How, how did you know that? My dear chap, I'm a doctor. My business to know. You were in much too agitated a state when I found you for me to suppose it could have been done simply by the fog. And uh, if I may hazard another guess, I should say it would be a relief to you and, and wise as well if you could unburden yourself to someone who would understand. Am I not right? Someone who would understand. That's just it. I doubt if there is anyone like that. It's so incredible. Oh, the more incredible, the greater your need to tell it. Repression in cases like yours can be dangerous, as, as you must know. You think you've hidden it, but it bides its time and it comes up later causing a lot of trouble. Confession, you know. Confession is good for the soul. Yes, I suppose you are right. It is so wildly unbelievable. Since we're strangers, my belief or disbelief can make no difference. And I think I can promise you in advance that I shall believe all you have to say. Well, I've got to tell somebody about it soon anyway. So <laughs> cigarette uh, to help with telling? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'd better start back at the very beginning of the adventure, then. It started today at the sanitarium. I've been there for some months, and today, when Dr. Henry called to check on me, I... Well, young man, morning. you're as fit as a prize heifer and twice as frisky. The diet here must agree with you. I have no complaints, doctor, but if I'm well again, then I'd like to get back into circulation. Will you listen to him, nurse, rushing things as usual? You'd think he didn't like us here. Oh, <laughs> the way he bothers <clears throat> us to let him go into town, I'm sure of it, doctor. He's getting so healthy, he's bursting at the seams. There, you see? How about it, Doctor? Can't I just have a day or an evening in town? What's the great attraction in that dirty place? Some girl, no doubt? Well, yes, that is in a way. I, I met her in France. She's a Red Cross girl. She's invited me to stop in for tea if I'm up in London. And, well, it's just that I'd, I'd feel human again, seeing a girl having tea, a cigarette, chatting... That's all. Young man, I not only approve of your day in town, I'm prescribing it. It'll do you good. You've got to start getting used to society again anyway. And you think I can manage it alone? Why not? You get around the neighborhood by yourself well enough, don't you? There's nothing so very different about London. Certainly nothing to be afraid of. No, of course not. Uh, call the young lady and find out the directions, where to get off the underground, what turns to take and so on. Uh, go in the daytime, return before dark. No danger of getting lost. It should be simple. Nothing to it. Do you good? Then this means I'm getting better. I'll be able to go home soon? There you go. Rushing things again. But yes, I think perhaps we're on the last leg. Well, that'll be all, nurse. Yes, Dr. Henry. Now, tell me, young man, what about your friends? No, doctor. I think they've deserted me. I don't see them anymore. No more ghosts. No more dead comrades stopping in for a chat. Good. For how long now? Oh, several weeks at least. I can hardly remember when I last saw one. Thought you saw <laughs> Yes, thought. Of course, in the dark room at night, sometimes the That's shadows... That's not are... quite the same thing. Lots of well people fancy they see the shadows move at night. Especially after they've been reading some penny dreadful. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Uh, at any rate, you can distinguish between the real people and the unreal now. And that's a big step, considering how you were a few months ago. Well, it's only... When I feel completely alone, 
Cut off that the old panic begins a little, but not as much as before. Many people don't like to feel alone and cut off, but they can fight down that panicky feeling, nip it in the bud. So will you in time. But I must warn you, a severe shock could undo all our work. By all means, avoid shock. Avoid shock, he said. Very funny, isn't it? But who could have known then what would happen? How could I have suspected as I went about planning my day in town, my holiday? I called the girl, arranged our tea party. I was to be at her little house in Morley Place at four. It's so easy to find the first time. The old Canadian backwoods instinct, she'll probably manage it better than any Londoner. <laughs> yes, I'm sure I will. It's near South Kensington Station, then. Exactly. You change at Piccadilly Circus yes. without leaving the underground station. And come to South Kent. That's three streets left from there, then two right, one more left, and right again into Morley Place. It's really not far. Oh, I'll find it all right. Now, don't go to any great bother. Oh, you just leave that to me. This is a special occasion, you know. Till four, then. Until four. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> And so it all started out as a cheerful adventure. And everything went well into the city. I made my change underground at Piccadilly, took the local to South Kensington Station. And there I came up at the surface again. And when I walked out, I stepped into a solid, opaque blanket of white fog. I could hear the traffic, the rumble of the city around me. I could hear footsteps, an occasional muffled voice. But I could see almost nothing. This is how a blind man feels, then. The only objects of relief from that dreadful enveloping gray wall were an occasional blur of yellow from a street lamp or a motor car headlight, a glimmering patch from some big-lighted shop window here and there, and the figures, the figures of other people passing by, dark and floating and indistinct. Or were they people? Might they not be those phantom figures again? Just like the ones that haunted me before I went into the sanitarium. Ghostly, blurred figures of dead comrades from Dunkirk and Abbeville and the mud of Belgium. Ah, here comes another one. I can hear his cane tapping. Look closely now, make sure. There. He looked real enough, didn't he? They are real, I'm positive of it, and I'm not alone. They're all around me. But even as I told myself this, the old panic was growing inside. There now, old fellow, you've got to get hold of yourself. Next one comes along, speak up. Speak up to him. Ask him the way to Molly Place. Ask, can you put me on the trail to Molly Place? Just like that. You'll see. Here now, here he comes. Ask away. Beg pardon. Can you put me I on... I say, is this right for the tube station, do you know? I'm utterly lost. <laughs> I want South Kensington. Why, why, yes, I have just come from there. Straight along, I think. Oh, thanks, awfully. Oh, but I say, can you put me on the trail to... Morley, please? He's gone. Well, no matter, he was real enough. He spoke up like a real person, all right. Maybe if he next... Oh, oh I say, I beg your pardon. Oh, I'm frightfully sorry. I, I didn't see you and you standing still. Oh, I'm afraid I, I must be lost. Can you direct me to Morley, please? Dear, I, I think you've missed 
you're turning. You, you'd have to double back a street and maybe two and take the first turn to the right and go one street and then double back two and then left again and you I say thanks. That was first right and then... She's gone. Disappeared. Like a ghost. <laughs> Panic was rising in me. They were real people, yes, but they appeared and disappeared so disconcertingly quickly. And when I turned off down the main street, there, there were fewer of them. I turned again and again. But I couldn't remember the directions. Suddenly, I, I knew I was lost. And now I was in some little backwater where passers-by were rare, where no one came, where I was alone. the panic swept over me. I stumbled on a curb. My cane swept empty air. I fell to the icy pavement. I was shaking so that I couldn't rise to my feet. I crawled across the open space of the street on my hands and knees. Only when I crossed the curb and felt a warm wall could I stand up again. And then I stood there, shaken and frantic. Molly Place must be very close, the little Red Cross girl waiting with her warm fire and hot tea. But where? Where? Suddenly, in the yellow blur of the nearest street lamp, a faint darkening of the fog caught my eye. It was not a figure this time. Only the shadow of the pole, grotesquely magnified. No. No, it moved. It came toward me. It was a figure. A woman. It came right up to me. Fear gripped me, and then I remembered the doctor's advice. Don't ignore them. Treat them as real. Speak to them and go with them. You will soon prove their unreality then. And they will leave you. And so I gripped the wall behind me and spoke to her. Lost your way like myself, haven't you, ma'am? Do you know where we are at all? Morley Place I'm looking for. Where am I? Well, I say you're more frightened than I am. Uh, may I help you? I'm lost. I've lost myself. I can't find my way back. Same here. I'm terrified of being alone, too. I've had shell shock, you know. Uh, let's go together. We'll find our way together, eh? Who are you? Name's O'Reilly, Canadian. I'm going to have tea with a friend in Morley Place. Uh, what's your address? Do you know the name of the street here? It came out suddenly. Unexpectedly. I can't find my way home again. Just when I was expecting him well, to... Oh, say steady, ma'am. He may be there now, waiting for me at this very moment. And I can't get back. Have you any idea of the direction, ma'am? Any at all? We'll go together. Listen. Uh... I hear him calling. I remember. Wait, ma'am. Wait. Don't leave me here alone. I'm going with you. Wait. She was running fast through the fog. It was all I could do to keep up with her. But I felt I must not lose her or my own nerves would go to pieces. How she found her way in the fog, running so quickly, I didn't know, but I kept close on her heels, running hard. I could smell a faint perfume in the air, trailing behind her. A faintly familiar odor, but not pleasant. And then suddenly she stopped and turned into the gate, so suddenly that I almost bumped into her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is this in? You found it, then. Uh, may I come in with you for a moment? Perhaps you will let me telephone my doctor. Doctor? Yes, Dr. Henry at the Army Hospital. I'm in his care, you know. My home is somewhere here. I'm near it. I must get back in time. For him. I must. He's coming to me. I, I say, ma'am. But she turned and walked toward the house. For a moment I hesitated. 
This woman was acting very strangely. But no matter, she was at least real, and I needed help. Quickly, I followed her up the steps across the porch. The door was ajar. She slipped through, and I followed into the dark house. It was so dark inside, I couldn't see anything at first. I, I stopped, groping. But she went on quickly, easily, as if she knew the way. She was ignoring me completely. I heard her steps cross the hall, go up the stairs quickly. I waited and listened. She walked along the hall upstairs. Where? Oh, where is he? I must find him. Now the hair on my neck felt as if it were rising. Was she, after all, another of my figures? Was she unreal, too? I heard her open a door upstairs, go in and close it after her. Then there was silence, profound silence. And I was alone in a dark, unoccupied house. The white-covered furniture in the hallway loomed like ghosts. And there was no sound. I felt my panic coming back. But she was upstairs. And at least she was companionship. my way up the stairs, along the upstairs hall. There was no sign of life. Where are you? I want to help you. Which room are you in? There was no answer. But as I put my hand on a table to steady myself, I, I felt something. It was a candle stump. With a gasp of relief, I took it up and lighted it. Now I could see a little. One by one, I tried the bedrooms. They were dusty and unused. The furniture covered, the mattresses rolled up on the beds. They were all alike. Until I opened the last door. Instantly, I knew this was it. I smelled the perfume. Only now I recognized and understood why it was unpleasant to me. It was the smell of a hospital, of chloroform. And there was the woman. Her dark fur coat wrapped around her, her jewels just showing at the neck. And she was stretched out on the bed, motionless. Instantly, I... I knew she was dead. In the next instant, I thought I would go mad. The blood on her face was congealing. Her skin was cold. I knew then that she'd been dead for an hour at least. And that what I saw in the street was not real. This was the shock that Dr. Henry had warned me to avoid. And what happened then? Well, I, I heard the door open up downstairs. Someone came in. The one she'd been expecting, no doubt. And suddenly I, I realized the, the danger of my being found there beside a woman who had obviously been murdered. Well, I slipped into another bedroom, and when he went into that room with her, I slipped out and crept downstairs. I stumbled and he heard me, and I came out. I ran down and out into the fog, into the street, and away. How long I ran or where, I don't know. When I was exhausted, I stopped. And then you came and found me. Well, what do you think? <laughs> Tall tale, isn't it? Yes. Strange, but not incredible. I see no reason to disbelieve anything you've told me. Things equally remarkable, equally incredible, happen every day in a big city. I know from personal experience 
I could give you many instances. But the woman, I saw her, and yet she was already dead. Such things are hard to explain. Perhaps cannot be explained, except, of course, your mind in its present state may still play tricks on you. Perhaps you saw a woman in the fog and followed her. You may have missed her and only thought you saw her going to that house. But what about the dead woman? She was real enough. Perhaps, perhaps not. She, too, may have been just fantasy. You may never have left the street. No. No, I'm sure of that, at least. I must believe it. She was real, and the man who came up the stairs was real. If I didn't believe that, I think I should go mad. Yes, perhaps that is important. Then, let me see. Have you any proof of what you saw? Something, perhaps, that you carried away with you? None. But, but wait. I left something there. My hat. I left it on the bed beside her body. My initials were in it. Huh? And so if it was all real, I shall be getting a visit from the police one day soon, perhaps. And then I'll know. And I'll be charged with murder. I don't think so. You think the police would believe this fantastic story? As I told you, many strange things happen in a city like this. For instance, I knew of a similar case many years ago... Strangely similar case. Almost a coincidence. Would you like to hear it? I... Yes, I I suppose so. It happened during the last war. A colleague of mine, a surgeon now dead, married a charming girl, young and beautiful. He was wealthy, and they lived comfortably for many years. They seemed happy together. Then came the war, and he went overseas. His income was stopped, of course. The big house closed. His wife found life not so pleasant as before. And somehow she blamed her new hardships on him. You see, she was devoid of imagination without any power for sacrifice. But she was still young and beautiful. The inevitable young man came along to console her. He was rich. They planned to go off somewhere. Only by chance, the husband came back from overseas suddenly. Just in the nick of time. Well, he should have let her go. He was well rid of her, I'd say. Well rid of her, yes. Only he decided to make the riddance final. He decided to kill her and her lover. You see, he loved her. He planned the time and place carefully. They met, he knew, in the big house, now closed. He waited for them there. The plan failed, however, in one important detail. She came at the appointed time, but without her lover... She found death waiting for her. Completely painless death. But the lover did not come. The door had been left open for him. The house was deserted and it was a foggy night like tonight. But he did not come. Instead, a stranger came. I... And where was the surgeon all this time? Waiting outside, concealed in the fog. He saw the man go in and he followed him to kill him. But the man was a stranger. He came in by chance, like you, to shelter from the fog. I think that I should... Why? What is the matter, sir? Why, I really must be going. Of course, if you wish. Thank you for your kindness and hospitality. Oh, it's been a pleasure, young man. I enjoyed your story, although I confess I expected one a little different. Your coat. Thank you. I'll walk with you to the door and give you the directions. Ah, you're in luck. 
I think the fog's lifting a bit. Doctor, may I ask? Your friend, the surgeon, was he ever caught? Ah, that's the part of the story I don't know. He was clever enough so that I doubt it. Unless he told somebody, made a confession. I see. And even so, unless that other person had some proof. Oh, by the way, you, you can't walk about in the fog without a hat. Here, it's an extra one of mine. You needn't trouble to return. Thank you. Thank you very much. I went out of his consulting room with a hat on my head. In ten minutes, I was at the tube station. It was only there that I permitted myself to take off the hat and look at it. It was my own. The hat I had left on the bed beside the dead woman. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Confession by Algernon Blackwood. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel. With Bill Conrad as O'Reilly, Ramsey Hill as the doctor, and Peggy Weber as the woman in the fog. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week... You are trapped in the dark maze of the native quarter of Mozambique. A dead man at your feet, the police closing in around you. And beside you is a girl with whom you must escape. Next week, we escape with Percival Gibbon's fast-moving adventure, Second Class Passenger. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's A Day in the Life of Dennis Day, followed by Suspense Theater. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.